0: Why don't we freak out more about falling asleep? You just turn off and lose consciousness. Your body's still in the real world, just laying there. But you, you enter this imagined reality. Suddenly, you're in a market in India. On the Titanic or travels through time so you can have a pet dinosaur. Maybe you'll even be an astronaut. I feel the liftoff,
1: the clock has started. I don't know exactly what
0: happened and I woke up, but the interesting part is what happened after the dream, which is that I
1: felt completely in love with that person. Remember that one when it, where I thought I was Mr. Robot? Ooh. Have you watched Mr. Robot?
2: Oh my God. So I'm waking up. Uh... Suppose you were a
0: Martian who never slept. They didn't have sleep, you didn't have to sleep. And you came down to this earth and you saw these people had this funny f- crappy that every day for a certain amount of time had to lie down and become unconscious. And then the natural question would be, how does it feel to get unconscious? Uh, what happens to you? Ideas run along and suddenly they stop. Or do they just run more and more slowly? But what happens to your ideas? How does it feel to become unconscious? So I tried to answer the question. What happens when you become unconscious? I invited Thomas andrillon to the podcast. He's a researcher at the Paris Brain Institute and has done research in exactly that period
2: when we're not fully asleep yet, but also not fully awake. Yeah, it's, it's actually a very interesting time for the brain and mind that we have not explored perhaps as much uh, as we should. And I think there are several reasons why, why it was overlooked. But I think one of the main limitations is the sheer complexity of it because it, different things occurring in parallel and not necessarily at the same time. So when you fall asleep, the process is not linear. You can start to slow down, maybe start missing uh, some things and then go back up. And another dimension of falling asleep is what happens in the brain, so by recording the activity of the brain. And for this, we can find indices that track your level of vigilance. And we can see things that are typically seen in wakefulness, we can see them gradually disappear. And patterns of brain activity that are more associated with sleep gradually occurring uh, more and more often. This does not mean that things are occurring necessarily at the same pace, everywhere in the brain. There are brain regions that will fall asleep quicker than others. So you can be very well in a situation where part of your brain has already switched off and part of your brain is still on. That could be one of the reasons, for example, when we start to fall asleep, we have, uh, we're have we still conscious. So very often you have this notion that uh, when we fall asleep, we always fall into oblivion, unconsciousness and so on. But actually, this is typically not the case i mean there is a window uh, in which the sleep onset is already on you are already transitioning uh, to sleep but you are still conscious and sometimes very conscious you can have these vivid experiences these dreamlike sensations that could be actually precisely because part of your brain has already disconnected including the the thalamus so the thalamus is an important relay between your senses and and the brain. So it relays most of the sensory information to the brain. So if if it switches off, this means that you will be less likely to perceive what's around you. But the parts of the brain that are processing sensory information and thoughts uh, and so on are still active. So they will still process information. It's just that the information they are processing no longer Come from the outside, but is generated from the inside. And that's why you can have this window that we call Ibnagoja, so the window leading to sleep, where you can have this dream like, they are not exactly dreams, but they are very close uh, to, to dreaming. And there are this expression, perhaps, that you are in a state where part of the brain is already asleep and part of the brain has actually not switched yet.
0: What's special about this uh, semi lucid state
2: of mind? in terms of what it does, it seems quite special. And by what it does, I mean what it does to our cognition. Because contrary to, to wakefulness, uh, the kind of thoughts you have uh, in the sleep onset period is is very special. It's very much dreamlike. It goes all over the place. It's hyper-associative. So it's a fertile ground uh, for many thoughts that you will very likely never have uh, if you're uh, perfectly awake and Kind of in control. And in the same time, it's often easy to remember them because dreaming will also give you a lot of crazy chains of, of thoughts and, and experiences. But very often we, we, we don't remember uh, these dreams. So it seemed that with the sleep onset period, we could benefit from the best of the, the two words uh, in the sense that you, you're in a state where you will have interesting uh, chain of thought that will most likely never occur uh, if you're perfectly awake. But at the same time, you're close enough to wakefulness that you will be very easily able to remember them. And we think that this is why we saw this, what we call these creative sweet spots at the gate of sleep. Because you're deep enough so that you can start having dreamlike experiences. But the sleep is shallow enough so... When you wake up, you have the full memory of what happened.
0: So you did this experiment um, where you showed that people that were in the first stage of sleep and one, even for just one minute, um, had much more creative insight on a problem than people that stayed awake the whole time. And I was wondering, how does that compare um, to getting an entire night's
2: sleep? So actually, the protocol we used to show that one minute of N1 was beneficial was the same that a, a paper 15 years ago or something that showed that the entire night of sleep was uh, good for creativity. And, and we find the same advantage. So one minute of N1 seems as good as an entire night. Very likely because when you're in the entire night, you do a lot of dreaming, you do a lot of these expiratory thoughts, but you also remember, you also forget lots of them. So I think that it's not only your ability to generate oneric content, but your ability to remember. And the prime is over an entire night; you will forget a lot of this. For me, I've rarely been in my scientific career in a in a situation where I I had a result like this, and I'm I'm still struggling to understand in terms of brain mechanism why is this uh is this possible. It, it's it's a super weird finding.
0: So is it possible in people to have part of the brain awake while another part of the brain is sleeping?
2: So they, they, this is a, a, a concept that I, I study a lot, which is the notion of local sleep. So the fact that uh, sleep is not necessarily uh, all or nothing, uh, but within the same brain, you can have patterns have activity in some brain regions that are clearly wake-like and that are clearly sleep-like. The first evidence of this local sleep phenomenon was obtained, for example, in animals, animals like dolphins. Uh, since they have this need uh, uh, to go back to the surface to breathe, they cannot uh, they cannot not swim, uh, which is a problem if you need also to 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 to, to sleep. So they have evolved. Uh, this very interesting solution that they sleep one brain hemisphere at a time. And in dolphins, you can have a situation where the left brain is awake and the right, the right part of the brain is asleep, and vice versa. So kind of an extreme case where uh, the, the brain activity is divided in two. Other instances of this local sleep phenomenon were also observed in uh, humans uh, with sleep disorders. Uh, for example, sleepwalking, Uh, is characterized by this dissociation with parts of the brain uh, that is sleeping, especially uh, frontal part of the brain that are very important for consciousness as a sense of agency and so on, and part of the brain that are uh, waking up. And typically in sleepwalking, that will be the motor cortex, uh, so structures that are important for motor behavior. And when you think about this, I mean, it completely makes sense uh, for sleepwalking that... The part of the brain that are controlling our movement is awake, but the part of the brain that are allowing us to be conscious of these movements and planning them uh, willingly uh, is asleep. Because a sleepwalker is like that, will be kind of a zombie moving around, but without really planning uh, what they are doing. So it's it it's seen for a long time that you could have this phenomenon of local sleep, but it was kind of a niche phenomenon, either uh, affecting animals with very, very specific ecological uh, niches, or uh, people with sleep disorders. What we're seeing more and more is that we might have an equivalent of that even in standard uh, people, you and me, either when we are pushed a bit to our limits, so when we uh, get sleep deprived, or or if we just get tired uh, uh, during the day and, and we're not merely motivated in, in staying awake. Obviously, this is not as drastic as sleepwalking or this uni hemispheric sleep that has been shown in dolphin. Uh, so far, we we, we have not uh, observed uh, really in, in an awake individual a state where you have a brain region that is in deep sleep versus another that is completely awake. But you can have sometimes, locally, you can see the emergence of of things that start looking a bit like sleep. Uh, so it's more of a slowing down of the brain activity. Uh, so it, it's subtle, but sometimes it is enough to allow you to predict what people have in mind, if they are paying attention or not to what they are doing, if they are about to make a mistake or not. So it, it's tiny changes, but that can have big consequences in terms of... Uh, uh, People's performance or, or attentional focus. What does it mean for a brain region to be asleep?
0: What are the slow waves that we detect in the brain regions that are asleep?
2: Um, it's more so from the animal literature, actually, we have a good information of what these waves represent for individual neurons. And they represent a, a change of dynamics. So when you're awake, individual neurons typically have the ability to fire for a long period of time. So they can be active and stay active for a long period. When you're asleep, these dynamics change and they exhibit what we call a bistable uh, dynamic, uh, which means that they will oscillate and alternate between active and inactive states. So you have an activation that is triggering uh, an inhibition, and neurons go silent. Then they emerge from the silence, and they get active again. And this activation again triggers inhibition that will silence them, and so on. This states between activation and silence, activation and silence, is very bad if you want to process information continuously for a long period of time. Because you do a couple of hundreds of milliseconds of activity, and then every everyone shuts down. Uh, and this state of bistability and the alternatives between on-off is actually what you observe when people are in deep uh, dreamless sleep or when they are anesthetized, and therefore it's typically associated with unresponsiveness and consciousness and so on. Uh, in some sort of some form of epilepsy, you also have um, uh, uh, this kind of biphasic pattern. Um, and the biphasic pattern is actually result from an imbalance between excitation and inhibition. Because neurons try to, uh, or a lot, of, a lot of what being awake means is being in a state where uh, you're neither too excited uh, or too inhibited. So you need to find a sweet spot where you want your neurons to be active and, and being able to respond to whatever information reaches them. But you don't want this, the, the, them to be oversharing all the time. Uh, it's a bit like a classroom. Uh, if everyone is quiet, then you know, there's not much interesting happening. But if everyone is shouting, then they, they, you, you're losing all the information as well. So you need to find the, the, correct, the, the correct level to have a conversation in a way between neurons. So I also invited
0: Fabio Ferrarelli. He's a professor at the University of Pittsburgh and has done research on what exactly makes us lose consciousness when we fall asleep.
1: And what we found that the fundamental uh, property that is lost, if you will, is the ability to integrate information. So the ability to uh, have different parts of the brain to effectively communicate with each other. So you can have different, you know, certain areas of your brain more than others that are still active, are on and are functioning, but they are not communicating as effectively. So the connectivity between the different areas is lost. And when you cannot do that, then your ability to respond effectively to similar, to be aware of what's happening, it's lost as well. And that's really seems to be the key property that makes the difference between being conscious and not conscious.
0: How do you know? What did you do to
1: figure that out? And so what we did was to use a device that back then when we were doing that was actually the first time it was used specifically for this purpose. So combined with EEG, which is transcranial magnetic stimulation or TMS. And the nice thing about TMS, which is a tool that it's becoming more and more known and popular as a treatment intervention, so for example, for depression, for OCD, it's actually FDA approved for a, for a few uh, psychiatric conditions. But another thing that you can do with TMS or transcranial magnetic stimulation is non-invasively perturb, stimulate different cortical areas and measure if you have the EG at the same time with millisecond precision how this activity Propagates in the brain over time. And so, by using this combination of techniques, you can really test whether stimulating a specific uh, region, how that activity propagates. And so, that means connectivity, you know, how communicate with other parts of the brain uh, with a millisecond precision over time. And you can do that during wakefulness and you can do that during sleep. And so what we did, we ran several studies uh, in healthy subject in which we were uh, start uh, um, measuring the brain response and brain pattern of communication while we were still awake. And so we could get some kind of information of what's going on and how the brain function and communicate in that state, in the awake state. you know. And then we let them slowly fall into sleep and in some subjects were very uh, champion of sleep, they could really sleep almost in any condition or under any uh, circumstance. We were able to measure how that response, literally at the single trial, single stimulation level, would progressively change from when you were awake to when you were falling asleep during this dreamless sleep from lighter to deeper stages of sleep, and then what, how this response would change when you go into REM sleep. Or, or like, you know, when you're dreaming. The other thing that you notice is that how this activity propagates, a change over time, is going to be a lot more active and a lot more rich when you're awake, but it's also going to be very uh, specific in the sense that it will follow the connectivity pattern of that specific area. So, so let's say the prefrontal cortex; it's more connected with the other side of the prefrontal cortex, more with the premotor or the other cortex. You will see that the pattern of propagation will follow, and so the way we communicate will follow that connectivity, that anatomical and functional communication pattern that is embedded in our brain. And so, you will be able to actually see that with the EEG. You know, that the activity change and moves it over time into that specific way. Whereas if you were stimulating more in the back, the activity might tend to stay more in the back and propagate based on the, the way the the visual cortex is wired with other cortical areas, and so on and so forth. All this pattern of connectivity or communication are really lost in the deepest REM sleep stages. And that's going to be uh, something that you can see when you're measuring this. One thing is to also sometimes wake up people who are in that state to say, okay, what was going on in your mind, you know, to get the behavior correlate, you know, and most times that you wake up somebody from a deep, no REM, dreamless sleep, they will say nothing. I was, I don't know. I, I, I was there. I, I was not there. You know, I, I don't know what was going on. And and you can see because probably there, we think that their brain was not connected, was not, Processing information was not, you know, effectively communicating. And so you you were, as a matter of fact, totally not present, you know, not able to, to be yourself, you know.
0: So that's during non-REM sleep. But how does the activation spread in REM sleep?
1: So the interesting thing about REM sleep is that, as you know, I mean, in some ways you are Conscious. You are more conscious because you are dreaming, right? So you, you are having an activity that resembles wakefulness except for certain features, right? Which is, for example, self-awareness, control over your body. So there are a few properties that are lost. And indeed, what we find, I mean, we, we, these are some of the studies, is that the, the TMS evoked EG response is a lot more similar to wakefulness than it is to the dreamless sleep. So in reality, in mirror, your ability to have a conscious experience, which is obviously regained to to a good degree when you are dreaming, uh, that is reflected in the fact that the the evoked response tends to be a little bit more rich during REM sleep. So you get more similar locally, more specific, a little bit faster. But at the same time, also it it moves a little bit more. And so even if it doesn't, resemble fully when you see what you experience during wavefulness, which could explain why certain features are missing. So you're not able to fully control your body, you're not fully able to be aware is this happening or not happening, right? I mean, you, you don't you don't have as much of a control, in particular because the, the most anterior part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, which is the one involved in controlling uh, your thinking in, in, in making decision and, and, you know, giving feedback to, to the more some of the sensory visual, uh, to the sensory areas of your body is not as active, you know, it's not as functioning, it's not as connected during REM sweep. And therefore, that part is missing and you will experience that in your dreams and you will see this in the response to the TMS that is not as rich, as, as complex there as it would be when you're awake.
0: What can make certain brain regions fall asleep?
1: For example, when you're very sleep deprived, you're not been sleeping for a while, right? You might be in a situation where just a day or two in, uh, some part of your brain will go offline. And interestingly, this is something actually that sometimes you can see even from the EEG without doing TMS. Obviously, with TMS, you can capture this connectivity change, you know, but in the EG, sometimes you will see the certain part of the brain start having that slower activity that you will see during sleep, you know, and that is telling you often that that part of the brain is, is going offline, it's, it's kind of falling asleep literally. And and we did a study in which actually we measure, we, we tested the system in which we were targeting, for example, visual motor system or auditory system. So they were either playing people video games for many hours, right? With some breaks, or they were listening to something. And we found that this was more likely to bring this system into the shutdown in the sleep-like mode, see this slow wave. And so that means that really, that can happen during gratefulness too. Uh,
0: thanks again for, uh Fabio Ferrarelli and Thomas and for being on the podcast. And that's the end. See you next time.
1: Good night.